Can marketers use AI to predict what you're going to do and whether you're going to buy? Welcome to Tech First with John Goodseer. If you've been around marketing, you will have heard of something called the customer journey. That's what people do when they buy something or when they don't buy something. That's a journey that didn't work. Naturally, marketers want to optimize that trip. And Adobe has developed an AI system that finds out where those journeys break. To learn more, we're joined by Steve Hammond, who's a director at Adobe Experience Cloud. Steve, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Excellent. Great to have you. Let's start here. Can AI predict what people are going to do in a customer journey flow? It absolutely can. It needs certain points of data input to help with that. But it is a big part of how we have interactions across journeys today. Interesting. So I want to dig deeper into what your AI is doing, but let's start with talking about kind of the degree of difficulty, the amount of data that it needs. I remember talking to one person, a marketer sometime, he said he had mapped out like 800 different customer journeys that people were using. What's the level of diversity we're talking about? How many different possible routes are there for people to buy a pair of shoes or book a flight or something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. There are usually thousands. And usually that journey is based on the individual. Each of us has, you know, some spe special need. We are, we're coming through from a uh, given browser technology, or we're looking for a certain type of product, or we might be going down the road of going and first checking on ratings or reviews. Maybe we go check out customer service support, but there are any number, infinite number of, of possible journeys that someone could take. So it's important that AI can help with that because the real challenge is that when you try to get a team of people to create a path, the ideal path for an individual, it's never right because you can't create that infinite number of paths. You really need to be able to have some level of automation and machine learning to be able to help support that. Exactly, exactly. I mean, if you've got sort of thousands of journeys and multiple data points in there, there's probably, you know, like you said, an infinite number of ways somebody can go through that you can't understand all those you can't diagnose all those you can't understand the challenges with those either. So let's dive into your project that you're working on from an AI perspective. What was your goal? What were you trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think to start off with, it's important to understand the scope of this kind of a project. This project is part of a program that we have at Adobe called Sneaks. And Adobe has this program, and it's really meant to inspire the engineers and the innovators and the product people across the business to come up with unique solutions to challenges. Yep. And uh, we've been doing it now for nine years in the enterprise space with the digital experience business. And this being our ninth year, one of the projects that came out and that we revealed in March as part of Sneaks was this idea that you can take, you know, the understanding of analytics and the paths that people are taking and then match that back to the interaction points that people have and then, and then create kind of the ideal journey or path orchestrating that across different experiences. And that was done. And it, I, again, kind of going back to how we got here mm -hmm. is the, is there's a, a set of engineers who have been researching and, and looking into this particular challenge for quite a while. We have different versions of, or flavors of, you know, kind of path analysis and journey orchestration, but putting the two things together was an interesting challenge. And so this team worked on it and then they presented it as an option for us to showcase. And we did that. And so we were able to showcase this sneak or the sneak peek into this concept technology that we've codenamed Bon Voyage. And it's really, uh, 
it's a way to look at, you know, the path, the journey that you're trying to take and make sure that it's a positive and, and good journey. Excellent. What, what's the process? I mean, um, just to dig a little deeper there, you must get a lot of different sort of proposals, almost like, you know, little pet projects or something like that. And, and what's the process by which you decide, hey, you know what, that meets the criteria, we're moving forward with that. Is there a certain level of success it needs to have? It does. Yeah. So we generally evaluate on what's the value to the customer, how innovative and unique is the idea. Uh, and then we also have to add in a couple uh, interesting elements like I mean, obviously feasibility. Is it a, is it a functioning prototype that we can show and, and showcase? Uh, and then the thing that I was going to add there is it has to be somewhat entertaining to be able to show people. You have to have a story behind it. There's yes. a lot of great technologies and uh, a lot of really interesting ideas, but we want to be able to put forth things that people can really grasp and see, oh, I see how that could you know, contribute to the value of my business. Sure. So we do get hundreds of submissions and we go through this evaluative process and and it's fun. It's fun for the people who are part of that every year. You know, my teams that work with the groups on this, but it's also really fun for the engineers who have an idea and can put it out there and, and put it in front of a large audience. Uh, it's a pretty unique opportunity. So in this particular case, uh, how much data are we looking at? How much data are you feeding the machine? Yeah, you know, it, the level of accuracy gets better with uh, the level of data you put through the system. So Typically, any kind of really advanced AI type systems are going to need uh, millions of rows of data to be able to start to evaluate patterns and, and behavior. But once you start to get uh, that amount of data through the system, the system can start to then evaluate those patterns of behavior and look for future combinations and things that will work better. So once you kind of feed the model with you know, a million or so rows of data, I and mean, that can take, depending on the site, you know, someone could have that done in hours. Other sites might take weeks. Um, yes. But generally speaking, you need about that kind of volume to feed the model. Mm-hmm. And then it can start using um, the ongoing testing and prediction to be able to determine, you know, what other variations to consider. And then the variations at that point become very real time. Yeah. Uh, it can start to model based on immediate interactions, immediate success, uh, and those kind of things. Interesting question comes to mind because I was talking to the CEO of Helm.ai some weeks ago, and they're building self-driving technology using AI. Mm -hmm. And they inserted what they call priors into their models. So something just to tell the machine that it happens. So one example is like object permanence, that when a car is obscured by a truck, it doesn't disappear. (laughs) It doesn't not exist until you see it again. It's still there. Do you have the capability to put something like that into the system? Or are you worried about if you do that, you might tell it something that might actually disrupt its potential to find something new later on? Yeah, the concept of priors is a really good, it's a good way of uh, referring to it. I've kind of referred to it in the past as, uh, as like a narrow AI, but prior is a good word for it. I like that. Uh, so we have a, a huge library of really well-defined and really well-baked AI that in some ways can exist as a bit of a prior. So yeah. an example of that would be, we have within our Photoshop application, the ability to be able to uh, evaluate all the pixels in an image. And then based on the pixels in the image, we can start to look for patterns and we can uh, obviously evaluate, is this you know, a scenic picture? Is it a city? Is it you know, a dog, an animal, a person, whatever it is, you can start to look at those patterns of pixels and then use that to be able to make decisions. Like an, a good example of a decision to be made from that is a, um, a technology inside of Photoshop called Content Aware Fill, where you can select an area and say, replace this with, and it will automatically generate the content there. 
as a concept of a prior, this works really well because when you're evaluating what kind of content to put in front of somebody in a journey or an orchestration, yes. you want to be able to look and see, you know, what is this content? And so you can quickly evaluate based on this already established AI, yeah. you know, what is in the image. You can see what the focus area is. You can see where the text might be. You can do all these things. So, if, for example, you have to crop it to say that for this particular journey that someone might be on, maybe they switch to a mobile phone and it's a smaller screen. So you need to be able to show a smaller rendering of an image. Um, we can take into consideration uh, the pixel patterns and say, don't crop the important part of the image. Interesting. You know, leave the focus area as the focus. And then that way you've combined data for what to put in front of somebody with you know, an image that's appropriately sized and scoped for the situation. Very, very interesting and not something that I would have thought of as well, just using AI to make sure the pictures look right in a different environment. Let's talk about some of the common challenges with customer journeys. Uh, what, what are some of the things that you're finding uh, are typically interrupting them? Yeah, well, I know it's, I think we all experience some of these things. And, and oftentimes uh, it can be a, a series of going and showing interest on a website. Maybe you even go through and say, I want to buy this product. Then you put it in your shopping cart and maybe you've even logged in. But then maybe a half hour later, you get some kind of an email notification for something completely different or, you know, that's, it's really disconnected from the previous experience. Yes. And, and that is a concept of a journey that needs to be better connected that hasn't been. And so having that real time understanding of what just happened right now, you know, the historical information is important, yeah. but what just happened right now. So if I, if I do send you an email right now, it's relevant and in the moment, that's a, that's a really common example. Another one would be uh, maybe across, you know, interactions that are not always just technology, but, you know, with humans as well, where you've been engaging with a brand for a specific product. Maybe you have to return that product. You call into a call center. Mm -hmm. And now, even though you may have a history of that company in the online forum, now you call into a call center and everything's like starting from fresh, you know, and it's no fun. Nobody has that experience. That's never <laughs> happened to anybody. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? What are you looking for? So those are good examples. I think of very common everyday, you know, challenges that can be overcome with proper journey orchestration. It's kind of interesting, actually, because if you think about it, customer journeys can be something that can last 30 seconds, an instant buy with a one-click buying process. It can also be something that can last months and years, uh, not yeah. just for products that are, you know, like the major purchases of our lives, like automobiles or something like that. But I was browsing Facebook the other day, and I see this pair of shoes, and it's amazing. It's incredible. I love it. It's really cool. And the price point is just right. And guess what? I don't need them right now. And so I kind of have this policy of maybe not buying something that i don't need just because i like it i mean i don't know mm -hmm. maybe that's crazy but i have that <laughs> idea pretty, pretty wise <laughs> <laughs> exactly but you know i kind of want that remind me in five months button you know and that's oh, maybe yeah. a very specific customer journey that nobody's figured out yet but maybe your yeah. ai will i mean just to look at that example for a yeah. second i mean that is absolutely a perfect case for really good a good relationship with the customer i mean if you constantly go back to that site you've obviously been sharing your information with that brand and you can have you know an opportunity for that kind of reminder there are a lot of other sites that struggle to have a personalized individual relationship with their mm -hmm. customers because mm -hmm. their site isn't set up in a way where they have that first party data and the and the user saying i'm willing to share my information with you and in a way where you can then say as a brand 
okay, thank you for sharing information. I'm going to try to make a better experience for you next time you come back yeah. by, you know, privacy controlled shared data in a way that is mutually beneficial. And, but yes, I think given the fact that if you had that underlying data structure in place, you could absolutely solve that problem with a, a good journey orchestration. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so here's another example. I was on bananarepublic.com the other day. I bought mm-hmm. some shirts. Uh, shockingly, we're not in the stores very much these days. So I, I came to the site and yeah, I signed up for the newsletter because it said there was 15% off. So what the heck? I did that. Then I created an account like immediately after next click type of thing. Still asked for my email address again. Is your software going to kind of detect little issues like that. It's a bit of friction in the customer journey, right? It's not a big deal. I just entered it again, but it's kind of like, I just told you that. Don't you know that? Come on. Uh, is your software going to detect those sources of friction and kind of fix them? It, it can. I, I think that what you described is is primarily uh, an implementation challenge in terms of, of recognizing the steps of a journey and then making sure you have that continuity between the steps and the journey. But to your point, I mean, it's that foundation of understanding who the individual is and then carrying that through the experience. And mm-hmm. so I would say that, you know, an AI-based journey orchestration can absolutely help with that. If you were applying AI to go back and look for the best possible path, uh, then it could do that. If and you can see the breakdown, for example, why did someone not continue on to the next step in this process? And then you go back and, the, you know, you, you were asking them twice for their email address when you should still have that. Yeah. But that's also, that's a combination of, you know, AI supporting uh, good implementation. But then mm-hmm. also what we talked about earlier is that idea of really understanding the, the individual based on a common data platform, having that ability to be able to know your customer mm-hmm. through every stage consistently and not having that be, you know, this system knows the individual this way, this system knows the individual this way, and you can't put the two together. Yeah. So having a common data structure is a, is a critical step in being able to solve that problem. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the data that informs the insights that you're generating. Are you using aggregated data from previous visitors and shoppers and buyers? Also some insights that are live uh, from what people are doing right now. And is there third-party data involved as well? Yeah. So this is a really important question because our data is a definition of who we are in an online experience. And so one of the first things that we did when we were building these technologies out was to ensure that we allowed for and, uh, and really provided the best possible way to be able to maintain highest possible privacy standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if we are looking at historical information, that that historical information is information that you as an individual have chosen to share with the brand. Right. And, the, and you have the right to be able to retract if you want to. And so that first party is what we call that information, that your, yeah. your information shared at the brand, first parties, that's a critical piece to be able to help make that work. But outside of that, like, you know, you asked about aggregated data or third-party data, that can also be important for certain brands. And if, if an individual opts into sharing their information and making that available and they feel comfortable doing that, then, uh, you know, a brand can leverage that to be able to help create a connection between, for example, an ad that's produced or shared in a site that's not hosted by that brand, mm-hmm. for example, if it happens to be on Google or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and then that individual clicks through from that back to the site, that continuity kind of depends on the ability for that sharing of information across those sites. And so if the individual allows for that, then that can be used to create a, a better experience. 
Right, right. And I mean, we're going through a massive change in the marketing and advertising world right now, right? I mean, uh, the latest, of course, is Apple killing the IDFA, which is a mobile tracking identifier in iOS 14 coming out in September. They're not killing it, but they're really deprecating it, making it mm -hmm. harder to get. And so that's kind of, I guess, an economist would say a secular move, right? A, a move across the entire industry, um, all industries really towards more privacy. How's that impacting your AI, the amount of data that you can collect for that? Is it making marketing harder? I think it's an important step. You know, giving the user control of their data is important. And so, and we support that from Adobe's perspective. The idea of the, the ID for advertising on the iOS 14, as I understand it, and I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding yeah. of it is that it, it, it's an opt-in option per application. So yes. it's, a, it's one extra step, which means that as a user, I get to choose if my ads can, can be shared through from a uh, you know, website into a mobile application, for example. Now, what that means for modeling and for AI is that in the case where a brand is working with an individual in a first-party data scenario, the individual has said, here's my information. I, I trust you as a brand to share this information. I create a login, whatever it might be. That information can be fully AI-driven 100%. Also, within the application, interactions between even anonymized information that completely abstracts the individual can be used to create the best possible experience within the application. Mm -hmm. um, across applications or across domains, across experiences, that opt-in for advertising plays a role in terms of whether you can have continuity between seeing an ad off-site and experiencing something related to that in an application. Yes. But again, if the individual has a close relationship with the brand, it's trusted then there are other ways by which that brand can, can create that continuity across channels. So it will have an impact. We don't know exactly what that impact will look like. Uh, we absolutely support you know, the importance of uh, privacy of individual data and mm -hmm. our systems are designed to, to be able to provide the best possible experience, whether that individual opts in or not, you know, given, given what information they want to share. Right, right. That makes sense. Do you anticipate, and I know that you're more on the marketing side than the ad tech or advertising side, but do you anticipate a move towards more contextual versus behavioral targeting? Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting mix, I think, because context is, is critical. You know, it's, that's what describes what you are doing right now. And it gives, it makes it a far more relevant if you have context. Behavior um, is obviously important as well. And, and I think they're, they're very related. You yes. can have behavior influence context as well. But oftentimes when you think of context, you think of uh, environmental data, you know, like what time of day is it? What's your IP, what's your location, for example? And what part of the application or site are you in? Are you in a customer support section? If you're in a customer support section, maybe you're filing a, you know, maybe a grievance against a particular product or whatever it might be. <laughs> you don't want to then, you know, ask them to, uh, to advocate for your product. So, yes. you know, that context can become critically important. So I think they go hand in hand. I, I don't think you can ever have a situation where an individual's behavior doesn't somehow play a role in the context. Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. think that you can't have context without behavior. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think they go hand in hand.
That is interesting, really. I mean, because if for somebody, if they were just going on contextual clues, might target me with that pair of shoes. But if they were the brand and I had a first party relationship with the brand and they knew, you know what, this guy just bought those shoes like 30 days ago or, or the last model or something like that. And, and he doesn't buy shoes more often than once every, I don't know, 18 months or 12 months or something like that. Then they might know, okay, he's just, you know, he's just window shopping. It's no big deal or something like that. But if it's just, so that would be behavior with contextual but if it was just contextual well hey looking at the shoes obviously wants to buy them you know here's the offer right so it changes how you react as a brand it does and also can save you a lot of money if you do it properly because <laughs> if you keep putting that ad in front of somebody over and over again they, and like you said you just bought it or something very similar i, I had this i i just recently bought a car and, and it's funny because i went to the website to look at the the car options and I end up buying the car and still it's just been like two months now. I yeah. still see ads for <laughs> even that exact same car. And I just keep thinking how much of a waste of money is that for that poor brand? Yes, 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 yes. And we have such a fractured ecosystem for that right now, honestly, with yeah. so many different, you know, marketing separate from advertising and customer databases still separated from all that stuff. It's really challenging to do. I once had the same thing with a pair of boots that I bought and literally saw the ads for, you know, literally three, four months thereafter. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, here's the negative thing. Here's the thing. We, we can laugh about that. And it is kind of funny in a sense. But A, there's some waste of money. But B, as a brand, you kind of look dumb. Yeah, you exactly. Look dumb because right. somebody looks at that, especially a consumer who doesn't know all the intricacies of how ad tech works or something like that. And you see that, and I bought that car. Don't you know? I bought right. that car two months ago. How yeah. do you not know that? Why are you still targeting me? And yeah. uh, by the way, we'll lose suppression lists in iOS 14 because of IDFA. So uh, interesting. <laughs> more of that. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, I, I mean, the key there in this specific example of an ad is to be able to understand that behavior at the point of purchase. And sometimes that's hard to connect. Yes. You know, in, in an example of buying a car, the the dealership that I went to is a used car dealership. And, and I don't know that they have the sophistication to be able to go back and link my ad to the fact that I made a purchase. And yes. so that becomes, you know, a really challenging thing in certain exactly. situations. B2B, B2B to C, B2C to B. There's all these challenges, right? The dealership, the data going to the brand, a, a third-party agency running. It, it, it's challenging. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for this time. And you know what? I'm going to close. And I think I'm going to get the video that I didn't get at the beginning. Nice. So that works. Well, works. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for the time. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Excellent. Well, hey, thank you for joining us on Tech First. Really appreciate it. My name is John Kutsir. I appreciate you being along for the ride. Whatever platform you're watching on, hey, like, subscribe, share, comment, all the above. If you're on the podcast and you like this, please rate it, review it, and get massive help. Until next time, this is John Kutsir with Tech First.